Hey everyone, it's your favorite new co-host Bilal Hankins here for a quick detour before we start the show. This spring will bring our 10th season of Elixir Wizards, and we are so thankful to you all for tuning in each and every week. We'd love to make the show even better for you, so we created a short listener survey to get some feedback. If you could do us a quick favor and take two minutes to complete the survey, we promise to come back bigger and better in our 10th season. To take the survey, just click the link in our show notes for this episode or visit smr.tl slash survey2022. Thank you for taking the time out of your busy schedules to help us understand how we can create an even better podcast for you. And now on with the show. Welcome to Elixir Wizards, a podcast brought to you by SmartLogic, a custom web and mobile development shop based in Baltimore. My name is Owen Bickford, and I'll be your host. Today, I'm joined by my co-host, Sunday Mient. How are you, Sunday? Good. How are you? Doing awesome. <laughs> this season's theme is parsing the particulars, and today we're joined by our special guest, Marcelo Dominguez from Mimiquate. We'll be diving into the particulars of CQRS. How are you, Marcelo? Hi, Owen. Hi, Sunday. Thanks for having me here, and I'm glad to join this podcast. Yeah, awesome. we're super excited to have you. I think. We had this conversation about wanting to have you on at ElixirConf 2022, and I think we just like loosely talked about a subject, and I did not personally think about the subject itself until this week. So here we are. We're about to dive in. But as of today, the day we're recording, it's also December 1st, and for every developer out there knows that that means we're in Advent of Code. And so just wanted to ask you, are you doing Advent of Code this year? I saw you post something about it earlier. What's going on? Yeah, I'm really into the Advent of Code. I think it's that moment of the year when you can get some snippet of code and, and solve those problems twice a day. And you can put some ugly code and make it work and do some tests and refactor it and feel good about it. So yeah, last year I was doing a, just a small I did an Elixir and I was doing it just a small mix project. And this year I was going all the way in Livebook. I ended up putting a template this morning and show it to, to a friend. And he was like, why don't you post it? And that's, I ended up putting it. So, so yeah, looking forward for until 25. And what was the gist that you posted? It wasn't like the solution, right? It was just like a outline or something? No, yeah, it's it's not the solution. I have it on a on a private repo. What I posted is just sort of a template when you can actually paste the input that you get, but also you can usually paste the default in a, like the example input when you read the letter, and then you can run a test with the answers of the letter. And then when you put the, your input in a different file, it will read from there, and you have another test that it will fail, but hopefully that's the right answer. So you submit that, and if it were, you have like the two tests, one of the example input and one with the actual input. That is your input. Oh, and did you get a chance to look at today's ad run of code? I took maybe five minutes. I read, I spent more time because I've never actually looked at advent of code. So I read a little bit of the about page mm-hmm. and clicked around a little bit, but no, I was, <laughs> I had I was, too many meetings today. <laughs> gotcha. I was personally offended by the concept that elves have or count calories in any capacity. <laughs> I just think that they can, you know, you, like the Christmas movie elf just lives and breathes Christmas cookies. And so I was just like, no, why would they? Why are they counting calories? I hate this. <laughs> right. Keto has gotten all the way to the North Pole. <laughs> oh, no. No, no, no. Santa but, Claus is going to be a skinny guy next year. 
uh, may or may not be the plot of a Christmas movie that is being released this year. Mm. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, or a, a, a show. I won't give it away. But Marcella, I did really appreciate that you posted about that. I actually looked at the Slack, Elixir Lang Slack earlier today to see if anyone was posting about Advent of Code. And not only did someone post about Advent of Code, it was you who I was talking to later today. <laughs> so I was like, oh, this is great. How fortuitous. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, I didn't expect to get into into the Elixir channel. and But yeah, more people will see it. My idea is to, at least was to, if someone wants to get in, they are like one click away of getting in. That sometimes like you want to do it in Elixir, but you have to create a new file and you don't know how to turn to, to run it, how to read the input. So it's kind of like a boilerplate for someone that wants to try it. Yeah. And for somebody who does want to try it, you said it was a live book. So can you walk us through how that works? Like if somebody lands on your gist.github.com link, how do they use it? Yeah, that's a good question. So you go to Livebook website and you can download the binary or you can even deploy like to fly.io in, in one click. And then there is a way of importing a livebook. And I think that if you just copy paste my link, you will have out of box like the day one. And then you can copy paste and be creating like day two, day three moving forward. Oh, cool. And is there a local option where you can just like clone the repo down or something like that? Or is it not really a repo? The gist is just a gist. So it's just like a markdown that you can point to that ah, and, gotcha. and Lightbook will do it. And Lightbook, yeah, you can you can run it locally if you prefer that. Like you can run it locally, you can load like a like a pre-binary on application, or you can deploy it to fly in one click. Cool. Well, yeah, I'm excited to check that out. Thank you for doing that. Joshua. So yeah. I think by the time this episode comes out, there'll be a few more days of advent of code. There might be all they... the days of advent of code. Honestly. <laughs> <laughs> so it goes through the 25th, and I think this is releasing just before that. So you can still access the site. And of course, the guest will be on GitHub. I'm also curious, recently, you were a big part of ElixirConf Uruguay. And I just wanted to kind of get a recap or like how that went. Yeah, we had the ElixirConf Uruguay conference here. It was great. I don't know exactly how many people attended that, I think it was around like between 70 and 100, which for Uruguay, that is like a small country, it's kind of a huge event. <laughs> and yeah, it was one, two days, Fridays, there were some workshops. And Saturday, it was a conference day. We only one track, I think it was eight talks, and it went pretty good. It's great to like build community here. We have the Elixir meetups once every, now it's been a while since, since we're doing one. But we have Elixir meetups, and I don't know how do you feel this, but my feelings is like before COVID, there were like a lot of meetup and conference, and small conference, and like yes. during COVID, of course, everything was shut down. But after that, starting the engines again is kind of like taking time in some spaces. So this was kind of the first conference that I attend here in Uruguay after COVID. So that's was pretty nice. Yep. It also must have been nice to not have to fly like 27 hours to get to your own conference. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I, don't want, I don't want to travel anymore this year, but this year is ending, so <laughs> January, yeah. is, January is one month away. Yeah, I think about that every time I run into you at a conference. I'm like, oh, wait, how long did it take you to get here this time, no matter where we are? But I'm happy for you that you get a chance to travel so much, and when you're here, you get to explore a little more. You went to New York, right, after MPEX or something, right? After MPEX, yes, before Elixir comp. Right, right. So in between. So yeah, in between. Yeah, it's usually cool. something between 13 hours and 
17, 18, depending which part of U.S. the conference is. Wow. Well, thank you for your dedication to Elixir. <laughs> we all thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So we've talked about Advent of Code and ElixirConf Uruguay. I don't think we've talked about Marcelo as a human being and as a person. So obviously you're in Uruguay and mm -hmm. you want to tell us a little bit about where you are, who you are and what you do? Yeah, sure. So yeah, I'm Marcelo, 32 years old, been doing Elixir since 2016. And before that, my past is on Ruby Rails. So that's kind of my background. What I do for fun, I like to play sports. I'm doing a lot of spinning right now, so I like to bike, mostly outdoor stuff, what I like to do. And yeah, I have uh, work at Mimicway. We are like a stuff augmentation company, and we have like projects in Elixir, some projects in, in Node and front-end-wise React, Ember. So that's kind of a brief summary of me. Got you. And we had a whole conversation about agency, staff augmentation, product companies, and all this on the Thinking Elixir podcast where me and Sunday were guests. So for a full discussion, uh, that episode would be great. But maybe in a nutshell, what does staff augmentation mean for Mimiquite? Yeah, usually what we do is instead of being like contractors for one single project of a few months, we try to fit the space when there are customers that need to get their team bigger sooner to for long-term relationships. So that's where we kind of get in place. So we get into your existing engineering team and try to bring value from day one. And if that's a win-win, great. If not, it's not. But we're trying to fill that need. We usually do some training here around Elixir and all the onboarding stuff. So whenever we kind of get into a given client and know what's the tech stack, we kind of figure it out if we have people aligned with that. And if we do, we, we propose that. And we see if we figure it out. I like to mention more like staff augmentation instead of contracting, because contracting seems to me like more like getting to a project to fix one staff or being there for like something specific, really expert. And we consider more ourselves like individual contributors that can get to your team and, and help you in their project. So that's our space. Cool. So our season theme this season is parsing the particulars and something very particular is CQRS. So before we go all the way into the weeds, I'm kind of curious how much experience each of us has with either CQRS as a concept or event sourcing and that kind of thing. <laughs> I'm doing a dancing zero for anyone who can't see me. It kind of looks that was like a heart. heart. I thought you yeah, were like, does. I love CQRS. No, okay. no, no, it's a zero, like zero experience. Right. <laughs> I have watched some talks. We talked about this right before starting. Yeah, I've, I've watched some talks. I've not built or maintained a CQRS system, but I've done a little bit of stuff with PubSub. So that's where I'm coming from. Okay, yeah. I have, like, reading the pattern from CQRS and that I, for a while, I will say that in 2017, it was like the first time I got into reading a little bit about the pattern. That doesn't mean that I was doing it right away. Uh, it's just, you know, when you start reading about stuff and at some point you are in your professional work and it's what you're used to and what is new and that trade-off, like when do you want to try it? How do you want to try it? Like you don't have that expertise. So I had the chance of trying it in 2018, late 2018. 
And since then, it's not the only kind of framework that I'm using, but it's, it's part of my daily work. Uh, but I'm done, I'm, I only consider myself someone that, that uses it and have something to share about. I'm not an expert. Practitioner. About, yes. Yeah. Right. Can we, We're before all practitioners we, here. Yeah. Before we get too far in, can we lay out, like, expand the acronym and then also talk about what it is? So what does CQRS stand for? Yeah. Well, CQRS stands for Command Query Responsibility Segregation. And basically, the way I like to talk about it is compared to, to CRUD, Create, Read, Update, Delete. That is the... I guess the most common, I don't want to use like the word common because maybe people use the other one, CQRS the whole life. And for them, the other one is the common one. But in a crude app, basically you create resources, read it, update and, and delete them. And the resource kind of a thinking like a blog post. I don't know if you have like a REST API, you hit an endpoint, you create a, create a post. And then you read the post with a get request, for example. So the idea there is the same structure that you use for create. When you create, you send the attributes of a post. And when you read, you typically read the same attributes that you use for creation. So the CQRS, the common query responsibility segregation, kind of split that in a way. What you use for creating is not the same that what you use for reading. And that will mean like in a post scenario, like in this blog post, when you create a post, it might mean that you create it, for example, I don't know, with a title. And instead of sending a request that the action is create this resource, you send a command that you want to create a post, right? Like it's the intention of what you're doing. And when you do the post, the response of that post might be like 200 OK with nothing. And then when you read, you read and it has, it could be completely separate. So for example, let's say you are doing a bank application now and you want to do a transaction, you usually don't update the account with the balance, the balances, with the new balances, right? When you do a transaction, you, you say you want to do a transaction from one account to other account and the amount, for example. And that translates all the way into your, your model. But when you read, you read the accounts and the accounts has a, has a given balance. So it's that split of concepts that what you use for writing is not the same that what you use for reading. And that is kind of the big split around like crude and CQRS for me. So just to rehash that example, so you're talking about a bank account transaction and you're saying in the CRUD methodology, you would create everything together and then you read it separately or the CQRS method is, is what, what part of that section is different? The part that, that probably different is that if you're in crude and you have like an account model, let's say that account has a owner and a balance and transactions and transaction is a, another, like a has many relationship with all the transactions. Like when you create an account, you have to put all the attributes there. So you create it with the same data that you expect to read. When you split that model, when you create, maybe you create only with the owner name. So when you post, you send the command that I want to create an account for Sunday. And you only send like, the command is create an account. And the only attribute is, is Sunday. And that creates different objects, right? That's, it has nothing. And then you can read an account. You never created an account. You just send a command to create an account. Like you send the action of doing something and the system reply, okay, we will do it. And then you read like the 
side effects of that create account command. And that side effect might be the account created, kind of. So it's like a separation of steps. Yes. If you go like to some of the readings, you can even do it in, a com- in two completely databases. Like you can read from one database and create another one. Other example that might be even easier to kind of grasp is when you need to create several reports. Let's say you want to export a CSV with all the things that happen in your system. When you do a transaction, if you're in a bank account, that can translate in one of your tables that is the audits table, and you log that. You never, in fact, write wrote into that table, right? You just create a transaction. So you split the intention of what you're doing to the side effects that happen in the, in the middle. So yeah, the bank account is kind of like the classic example of when reading to CQRS. Yeah, so I think, and we kind of I mentioned CRUD a few times here. So I think for anyone who's kind of new to this concept of CQRS, including some of us here, here, CRUD is kind of the model of like, if you're starting a brand new Phoenix app, for example, and you're using the generators to like create a user's context and schemas and all the functions that come along with that. Those functions are kind of built around like the CRUD pattern where you're creating, reading, updating, and deleting records. Sometimes they're, the function names are slightly different from that. Whereas I think the distinction here is like CQRS is, and like, and you could, so you could, let's say you have a blog and you wanted to like audit changes to the blog, you could, you know, log all the changes and that would be kind of like a separate concern. You'd have a log system where you could review things, but you're always writing things directly into the database. So like if you were building like a bank account application that was using the CRUD pattern, anytime you had a transaction, you would be writing like the new value directly into like the user account row. Whereas with CQROS or CQRS, you're kind of like writing the log as the primary. It's not really a log per se, but like it's a an event stream. And that is kind of like the primary thing you're writing to. And then whenever you're querying the data, it comes either off of that stream directly or from something called an aggregate. So are, is, you, am pinging I getting the, that right? are you pinging the database less? It, well, yeah. What you're saying always is right. Uh, you're introducing like these the event stream, and that's kind of CQRS with event sourcing. That is a different concept. Usually they are kind of tied together. The event sourcing as, as a pattern, like CQRS is, is a pattern in the same way that fruit is a pattern. The event sourcing means that, and this is a little bit more hard to get in a way, when you have like a blog post, you have the post, and when you update a post, you lose the previous value. Like you can do something to keep that value if you have like another table or whatever, but it's destructive in that way that when you do an update, it's you change the title, and if you don't do a lot with your old title, it's gone. In the event sourcing pattern, each event that is something that happened to your system. So if we were in the in the blog post or in the bank account, it's a blog post created. Usually they are in past tense, and you start saving in your event store database like the actions that happen in your system. Right. So the concept that you put together about the aggregate, it's okay, let's say you have a blog post and you have like a you put an you put the name, okay, and you said post post created with some name, and then you update the name, post updated with the new title. But if you want to know like, okay, what's the post that I have? Like what's the information? Like you or you have to read all the or your events, but usually that's not a good idea because that that is going to grow 
a lot. So you keep this notion of aggregate that what is, what it implies is that you're aggregating the values of your events into kind of like the snapshot of, okay, my post has these attributes, right? Uh, so you don't have to go through the event store. Usually you don't interact directly with your event store. You use your events for side effects and maybe a side effect is keeping the aggregate or creating a read projection that might be more similar to the post table that we're used to. So whenever there is a post update, you go and find it by ID and you change it daily. But if you want to see all the changes to a post, you have the event store to take a look in, into that. So I, I'm curious, like brand new Phoenix app, CRUD, you're typically using Postgres. Is mm-hmm. Postgres a good database for CQRS? Or are there different tools that you need to use for yeah. a system like this? So yeah, the pattern is CQRS for Elixir. There's a really great library by Ben Smith. It's called Commanded. So Commanded is a, it's an Elixir hex library that it gives you good modules and good ways of bootstrapping a CQRS framework, right? Because if you needed to start all of this from scratch, yeah, it's hard to get it right. <laughs> and so Commanded, it helps you in that way. So if you want to start playing with it, I, I will suggest like give it Commanded at spin. And that's how you probably will start. Like I will suggest if you want to take a look, like take a look into Commanded and, and give that a try. Got it. And we'll have links to these in the show notes as well. Another thing that you mentioned a few times is the concept of a side effect. And I think that is pretty self-explanatory and just like plain English, um, you know, side effect is a thing that happens as a result of another thing. But I think it also, correct me if I'm wrong, doesn't that also have a context in programming in the context of like preconditions and side effects where a precondition is like the conditions in which a thing must be true in order for a side effect to happen. So you enable a precondition and then you would enable side effect. Is that something to do with CQRS or is that a completely different concept? Yeah, I don't think it's binded in CQRS in, in that way. In the way it's, it's labeled more in, in commanded and CQRS is when you're running commanded, you have like a commanded app in the same way you have like a Phoenix app and a Phoenix endpoint, like in you need to start your supervisor, a commanded app. And there is a router, a commanded router, where you say what which are the commands that accept and you dispatch commands. And when you dispatch, it generates all these events in the sense of the event store, like things that happen to your system. So when you let's say you run a command, you dispatch a command of create post, probably you will get a post created event. And the side effects is you can have different processes that are receiving the, those events and doing stuff. So maybe when there is a new post created, you want to send a Slack notification, for example. So you will be hearing, and whenever there is a post created event, you have something there to trigger a Slack notification. To the point around like pop stop and how is that different than communicating the process. Commanded has like an event store and you can use Postgres as, as, the, as the adapter. So you can run like a few mixed tasks to initialize an event store. And by doing that, you, you have like all, all the moving pieces, you have, it, you have it there for running a dispatch. It will create an event. You can inspect the event store and see your commands and you can get from there. Like by, by side effects, I mean what you do with the events that, that get created. So with the events that get created, do you want to do side effects, do you want to send an email, send a Slack notification, 
or do something more complex, there are modules for hearing to that and, and do what they call like side effects. Cool. Thank you. So when you're writing a um, like a typical Phoenix application, you know, you're generating a let's say like a either a live view nowadays or a, even an old style controller with views. And you're building forms. We typically will use chain sets to validate data before we do anything on the back end to persist that data. With CQRS, are you also validating data before it comes in or do you just kind of like take the data, send an event, and then just kind of like let the system respond with errors? Yeah, it's a good question. You use chain set and you use chain set to, to validate that the commands that you're going to emit are correct. So you, when you create a form, like for a, I don't know, form for a post, instead of doing a form for a post, you do a form for the post create command. And then you have validations around the name, if the name has to be like with a particular format. Uh, and then when you submit, it gets through that. And then you can also have validations at the time of dispatch. But that's, that's kind of in the same way. It's around that separation between how you write into your system, how you read from your system. You can use, still use chain set for the forms. The way I got into it, or like the, to the point of what, when was the first time that I, I thought it was something to give it a try. And well, I was, I was in the need of building like an, an auction, auction system to, so the people using the app will need to place a bid on stuff. And that makes me think about that, that reality more in like a way of keeping the actions that happen to the system instead of the, of the resources that happen to the system. So what's a bid? Okay. Yeah. You have a bid. You have an amount. You have who was the actual, the actual user that bid for something. But for that particular problem, at least for me, it was easier to think about like the actions that were taken and first develop that and then develop the rest around like, okay, when, whenever this user is doing this, what, what actually happened to my system? Okay. He, at the end, he wants the bid. If the aggregate of this given sale has all these objects, uh, whoever is with the biggest bid is the one that wins. And the audit, like I want to see how many bids an object had. I had the event store to take a look into that. After that, I got into more like the read projections and was like, okay, you can keep the count. And the reporting, it was also easy for this part of the side effects. Okay, I want whenever there is like this moment in time and we are like two minutes for closing the sale, I can start doing action. So it's, I think that's the big thing, like the big like kind of mind shift around it. It's how do you think about your system? If you think about the objects in Elixir, it's not like the right word, but if you think about the resources that you're going to be creating, or if you're thinking about the actions, I, I kind of helps, it helps me at least thinking about the, in the same way of process, that process are like things that are running, interacting with other things. Right. If you like do a graph on it, it's in what you want to put your focus on, like in the messages and in the, the communication or in the people doing the thing. So that was kind of for me, the, the, the shift. Yeah. It reminds me of gen server, like how you build a gen server and it can handle info or, you know, messages coming in. Uh, not that the system would have to, you know, necessarily be using a lot of gen servers, but I was kind of thinking about this, like, would you ever work in a system where 
Like I'm trying to fig- find the boundaries of CQRS. Like, would you have a system where maybe some parts of your application use a CRUD pattern and some parts of the application use CQRS? Yeah, definitely. And that was one of the points that I wanted to try to get into this. That is, it's not a all or nothing approach. It's not that you have to, or you have to pick one or the other and there's no way back. It's not around that. You can have both. There, there are some things that might be more suitable. I think that the first, the learning curve for CQRS and event sourcing, at first, it's like a little bit hard because you have like 10 or 12 different concepts, different like things you need to learn. You're not sure how they fit together. Everything run asynchronously. So if you are doing a, yeah, an API call, a post request for creating something and you're not getting that back because you have to wait even a few a few milliseconds and it's not there it's kind of the same way when you are when we are dealing with concurrent process so it's a little bit hard to start so i will say that it's not for all applications for sure if you need to take more accountability on some audit feature or some login feature or you have to be, make sure that you have like a pretty read intensive like the i i don't as all, as everything I, in software is, I don't consider it like a silver bullet at all. <laughs> it's like only one more tool that you have and it's up to you to figure if it's the right tool for the job and if it is great. But if you have like an application that is like really intensive and the rights are less intensive, this is split. You can benefit of it in a way. You can also be running like five replicas of your Postgres database and you can do something there from read from your replicas and to write to a particular instance. You can also do that. But when you have that that split, like kind of by design, that the data that you write is not the same data that you read, it's even easier because you can, it's not that you need to even have replicas because you can have like multiple databases because nobody's going to, to write on that from your commands. Like it's your application that is writing there. So yeah, I got a little bit uh, sidetracked on the on the question, but to answer that point, like, yeah, the apps that I used to work with and that I'm working with, it's they are not fuel CQRS. There are some parts that are CQRS and some others that are crude. My first reaction to building something is doing crude, usually because it's easier for the development cycle, in my opinion. So I try to keep that in the minimum. And the also, the other thing that I try to put into consideration is the team you're working with. Like it's, it's not great when you put something and the only one that kind of knows how it works is like two or three people of like a 15, 15 people team. And that's kind of like, usually the simplest is the better. <laughs> so yeah, you can have both. You can give it a try to one thing and, and if it, to prove the point, And if it works, go for it. So it sounds like there may not be any best case scenario to use it. It's just you kind of have to look at the project in front of you and the team in front of you and and make that decision. I will say that that's a yes, always. (laughs) Yes, always is how I was thinking about that too. (laughs) Yes, always. I think also Um, if there's like a legal requirement to have like an audit trail, maybe you have to use something like CQRS or you have to persist the the changes somehow, you know. One other nice benefit about it is if you have the event store, it's easier for you to do kind of a time travel around. So if you have like a bank account and you want to check, not like the audit is 
when I'm thinking about an audit trail, I'm just thinking about like a report, you know, a CSV, and you have everything that happened. With this, you're able to pick a moment in time and kind of see your system. How was your system at that moment? Because, because it applies your events until, until that moment in time. That usually that's not that easy with an audit trail. Like with an audit trail, you will probably need to go line by line and start thinking in your system and what will be my system snapshot, like my system call design, if we were in this moment in time. With CQRS, we're creating historical state. If that is important for your project, I will consider it. Having the, the audit and the full history, yeah, it's, it's something nice, usually for, yeah, when there is, I don't know, money involved, uh, <laughs> or when you need to have like multiple users inter interacting with it, like performance wise, if you need to have like multiple in this auction, in this bidding system, if multiple users were going to bid at the same time, you need to make sure that you're respecting the order and nobody is getting before the line. So it's like a, currency problem and in commanded you get some good assumptions that the library will always let you know that nobody's getting you in the middle when you're dispatching a command so when you're dispatching a command it's just you so the next command is will kind of wait until the other and it has a, lot, a, a few other benefits around consistency if you want your application to be strong consistency or eventual consistency and by that it means for example, if you are looking at, I don't know, the stars of a GitHub project and you have all the users at the same time giving a star on a project, what's more important for you, like to be on GitHub page and be accurate about the number or it can be off by a few seconds, but it will eventually be right, right? Because if you are not able, if you do not support at any moment in time to show a, a bad number and you're in that situation, you have to put, I don't know, an unknown symbol in the star counter because you actually don't know. You're in the middle of it, but you don't know. And most of the systems, the eventual consistency is right. Like nobody will care if you're showing a number off for a few seconds. For other systems, if you're like one minute of a sale going out and you are the one that was going to win and you're not, yeah, they will be mad. <laughs> they will complain. <laughs> oh, they will be mad. <laughs> I wanted to take us back to something you were talking about just a few minutes ago in terms of time traveling. This actually came up earlier this season. We were talking, I think it was me and Dan talking to Jason Stibbs, the Phoenix Core team member, about any potential tooling that might be coming to Phoenix anytime soon. And I'm not saying this is coming to Phoenix anytime soon, but a question from the audience, also known as a question from our teammate, asked about how amazing would it be to have tooling like Redux has for React to be able to time travel and go back in time and see what your system looked like in a certain state and how we don't quite have anything like that for Phoenix yet. And what you just described CQRS can do for you in terms of state, which is a step above an audit log, actually sounds a lot to me like React Redux time traveling. Is it a similar feature? I don't have much experience with that feature in Redux, but to the sense of time traveling and going back, I don't know if I will pay the cost of implementing your system in CQRS for that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I think that if it was me and keep it simple, probably, I don't know, my naive solution will be take a snapshot of your system every 15 seconds and store that and travel and travel in that in that sense. Well, from like a debugging standpoint, right? So if you want to see something that went wrong 
in React Redux, what you can do is, or at least <laughs> it's been a few years for me. Let me preface with it's been a few years. But, you know, if you were walking through and you were trying to see, okay, I passed this information, this function was supposed to be called, and now this thing should be displaying like this. And you can step through every single second of it and see what happened that did not go to plan. And you can go backwards and forwards. And otherwise, I think you have to set up breakpoints and everything. And you, I think maybe you do have to set up breakpoints for that. But it is a useful developer tool. Just in general, Phoenix developer tooling is hopefully coming maybe one day, but maybe isn't as robust as other languages, other frameworks. And so that was something that our, our teammate was asking about. No, yeah, that will be incredible. I would love to have that. Uh, so <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but yeah, not, I don't think it's... It so goes, it's not quite that. No, not I don't think so. It made me think about the one of the first time that I was using an IDE and you were able to move the bookmark and go backwards. And that sense of, can I get back in time kind of superpower was, was awesome. <laughs> yeah, I haven't seen that in, in, in Elixir. To be honest, I, I usually do not use a lot of breakpoints in Elixir. I guess it's probably because of small functions. It's like coming from, from the Ruby world, like I know that when I was in, I don't know, 2013, I was putting, a, uh, yeah, the interactive Ruby in, in, in the middle of it and doing something. But for, for Elixir, I, I usually do not debug that much. Now with the new debugger call in Elixir, uh, unfortunately, that, that, that is awesome. Throw those between the pipeline and then that works like a charm for me. That's my debugging right now. So, yeah, I could see how, like, yeah, time travel would be amazing. I'm wondering because the live view model is so different, it, it seems just based on the little bit I know about React that that would live in the front end, like on the browser memory maybe, and then... I'm just trying to imagine like someone at Amazon scale trying to like store all of those events in their systems, which they could probably afford to do. But yeah, that would be madness. <laughs> but I'm kind of curious, like we talked about snapshots, kind of replaying, moving back and forth in time. I'm curious if let's say there's an outage in your system uh, and maybe this ties into like multi-node distribution as well. Like if you have your application distributed across multiple nodes, one of the nodes goes offline for some amount of time and it needs to recover. Does CQRS slow that process down? Does it make it faster? What are the kind of considerations when it comes to that? Yeah, so you can run command in a multi-node way. So you can, if you have your nodes connected with, I don't know, lib cluster, for example, there is a, a way of running your command app supporting a node going down. On the other part, when you need to build your aggregate, when you need to build these your system aggregates, you need to read through the event store. That might take some time, but there are some features for taking snapshots of your aggregates, not for your system, like not about time traveling around. What you can do is, let's say back to the, the blog post, uh, you can say like after 20 or 30 events or whatever, you can define that on configuration. I want to take a snapshot of my aggregate. And let's say you have the snapshot every 100 events, what you guarantee with that is that if you need to rebuild your post aggregate, you will read at most 100 events because you are saving that. And all of that is handled by you, by the library. So there's not, you don't need to do anything. And that usually it's speed up the start in case that there is a node and you need to start it up. The other thing about security is that I think it's, it's hard. It's database migrations. So let's, that, that is the one that I think it's, the more tricky, the one that you will probably like one of the pitfalls that when you start working on that, you will hit. <laughs> it's having like a change in your event structure. So what happened if 
you were having your post, you were having creation, and you were having a validation of, I don't know, six characters. And now you realize that that was wrong, that you need aid or I, I know, something that your, your, your actual events, like you don't want anymore to have like a post created with less than eight characters, but you have in your event store all your old posts that were created with six. So what you, what you will actually prob, I don't know, probably will do in like in your crude app, you will, if you will have in like a restriction in the, in the column, you will not be able to run it. You will fix your data before doing that. So you will, I don't know, go through the posts that were not, not getting into that validation right and fixing that. Like the events are immutable. So you cannot go to the events, but you can. But it's bad practice because the events are immutable, are things that happen, and you should not touch it. <laughs> like you cannot touch things in the past, <laughs> but they are there, right? And now they're wrong. So, or are you still having like post to creation <laughs> and you keep like all your and keep like a version? And that is also so there is a way of like upcasting, it's upcasting events that when you read something, you're, you're able to do changes on it. So all, all of those is part of having the audit log. But if you're changing the event structure, you're probably having the event store wrong events and you need to fix them. But you cannot fix them because you cannot touch them. So how do you fix them? <laughs> so for all of that in the pattern is described and there is a way of doing that. But that usually complicates the, the new developers when they, are, they change the event and they are still wrong in the event store. Are there any best practice resources for anyone who's trying to learn this methodology? If you're in Elixir, I will start with Commander. If you wanted to get more about secure REST, more as the, as the general pattern and not in the, in the Elixir where Greg Young is kind of the responsible for it. So great talks from him. So I will Google it and see or read as, as much as possible. If you are more into the people that are more like getting into the code to actually play around and see stuff, I will start with the getting started in Commander. There is a part when they, they explain each concept while you are building the, an, an application. I think they have a few. And the other thing that I would suggest is look at the test. The test, and that's kind of like a general advice probably, but in, in Commander they're good. So look at the test and, and usually that explains a lot of things. Or the edge cases that you don't, you probably never thought about it. And there's usually a test case for that. And then you click and say, okay, yeah, that makes sense too. Awesome. Well, I hope everyone gets a chance to check that out and just have their horizons expanded. So thank you for chatting with us about that. Unfortunately, we are getting close to being out of time here. It was so good talking to you. Do you have any final plugs or ask for the audience anywhere anyone can find you on social media or find more information on your side projects or GitHub accounts or anything? Yeah, I try to be Marpo60 in every social network. So you can you can find me on that on that name and reach me out on the Elixir Slack, Twitter, whatever. Yeah, happy to answer any questions. And yeah, this this hour went super fast. Uh, super excited about this. <laughs> We're all experts now. <laughs> You've been commanded to segregate your responsibilities. <laughs> oh, we couldn't end one episode without one of these, Owen. Not just right. just one. <laughs>
<laughs> so yeah, that wraps up today's episode of Elixir Wizards. Thank you so much to our guest, the excellent Marcelo Dominguez, for joining us. I'm Owen Bickford, and my co-host today was Sunday Mient. Elixir Wizards is brought to you by Smart Logic with production support from Hangar Studios. Here at Smart Logic, we build custom web and mobile software. We work in Elixir, Rails, React, Flutter, and more. And if you need a piece of custom software built, just hit us up. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and leave a review. Those reviews help us reach new listeners. You can find us on Twitter at SmartLogic or join the Elixir Wizards Discord. The link for that will be on the podcast page. We will see you next week for more on parsing the particulars.